This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Blackhawk Up Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Please welcome your hosts, Jimmy Lynch and Patrick McGann. Welcome back to the Black Hawk Up Podcast. I am Jimmy Lynch alongside Patrick McGann. Patrick, it's great to be with you. Great to be with you too, Jim. Uh, I'm excited to, we have some big announcements to make today, and I am really excited to bring those out to all the Black Hawk Up Podcast listeners, and it's uh, always good to talk hockey uh, whenever we can, so excited to be back. It is, and you, you kind of hinted at what I'm about to say here. We're here on a Monday, which is kind of new for us because... Uh, you know, our show, usually we're just recording on Thursdays, having the show go out on Thursdays, but now we're actually going to go to two days a week on Monday and Thursday throughout all of the season, you know, with a couple extra days thrown in. Maybe we do a, um, a recording during a ga- game one day. Who knows? Anything could happen. But we also have a third host to introduce, longtime friend of the p- podcast, Jeremiah Lee. Jeremiah, how are you? Doing good. It's nice to be here as a host instead of a guest contributor. Yeah. Looking forward to what we're going to do, man. It's official. Oh, yeah. A long time friend of the pod is now joining the pod. I love to see it. I missed the hat trick, but this is just as good. This is kind of like a hat trick, I guess. I mean, you're you're official now. I mean, I'm not a contributor, though. So I missed a hat trick, but this is a good trick to start. (laughs) Instead of it being an easy, like, empty net goal, you just went... And went for it all and got the nice deke and put it. Oh right. yeah, I went coast to coast. Uh, yeah, he nice got the flat. defenseman yeah. and scored. Yeah, he bought he bought the team and became the uh, owner. So as he scored That's two great. goals, left big, and then bought bought the Rockford Ice Hogs. Big things ahead. Big things ahead. So yeah, it's a Monday. Um, just we're approaching the season, everybody. It's it's a kind of a time of just waiting for Blackhawks fans because while we do have preseason hockey on the horizon and training camp is going on, you know, that kind of can drudge on for a little bit, at least in my mind. Um, and I just can't wait until that first game of the season. Yeah, like, honestly, these last, like, three, I don't even know how many weeks it's been. I think three or four weeks we've been doing this podcast have just been, like, have all to me have been, like, a collective blur of just, like, nothing is happening in the hockey world. And we're so close to getting started and it's very exciting and the long awaited puck drops for preseason will start and yeah you know they're preseason games they don't mean much but it's something to talk about and i'm excited for it nothing's happening yet everything is happening at the same time you know you have different rfas holding out for their contracts trying to get their money um you have you know the quote from like panarin saying he doesn't want to be captain of the rangers just because it wouldn't make sense for him everyone's just getting ready for hockey again. And Jeremiah, what do you think you're most excited about when it comes to the next couple of weeks before the season? What I'm excited about, well, before the league opener or not really league opener, but one of the first games of the season of New York and capitals, I'm excited for that, but that's beside the point, oh, yeah. but I'm just really excited to see how this Blackhawks team actually plays because I read up some stuff on the training camp and those guys are getting conditioned. Like you cannot believe like they're doing sprints, they're doing like fast laps after doing conditioning. Like they're gonna be 
I mean, I hope after all that, they're going to be well conditioned to do the track meet style that they like to play. They also have a lot of good guys coming in this time who are proven and, you know, can be reliable, can be relied on throughout the course of the game. That's exciting, but I don't think we're going to see many of those during the preseason. But there are a lot of good prospects to watch the preseason too. So that's what I'm also looking forward to. See if Lucas Reichel can actually make his way into the league. Henrik Borgstrom, if he can make his way into the league. Maybe Jacob Galvis make a run. I don't know, but I'm just excited to see who steps up and, you know, who's ready to help lead the Blackhawks into the future. That's going to be exciting. I think that's a common question around the league right now is who steps up. You know, every team always has, I feel like, a player or two each year that just kind of surprises people, whether they take a big step forward or they're maybe not as good as the previous year. I think of a really good example being um, William Carlson with the Vegas Golden Knights when they first came into the league in Vegas. He was that great player during that first year. He had an unbelievable run, scoring so many goals and helping get that team to the final. And it just came out of nowhere. And it really started on game one. So it's amazing to think in a couple of days, or excuse me, in a couple of weeks, we could see another performance like that, hopefully from yeah. a guy in Chicago. The, the Vegas Golden Knights are a very interesting story because, I mean, Mark Stone as well. Like, you don't really expect these guys to be that, you know, big time, like big impact players that they are now. They, I mean, they were literally given away by their former team. So to see those guys become superstars, like, wow, this is like an amazing story. But you also look at the Blackhawks and you see how many guys there are getting their second or their second shot from a different team. And they're coming in to prove they can still play and do a good job with the, what they need to do. And then you got uh, Kirby Doc, who is pretty impatient about his breakout season. That's that's a guy I don't really think you can say it's, it's like a surprising breakout season because it's like, oh, this is expected from Kirby Doc. But one of the guys that I'm really hoping makes the roster and becomes the next breakout star for this team is Henrik Borgström or Lucas Reichel. One of mm-hmm. the two, because they're both young. They have the skill set that they need to have to be successful in the league. Henrik Borgström has some ways to go, I think, personally. But either one of them, if they make it to the league and become the breakout star that the Blackhawks really need to push them forward in terms of what they need to do, because we all know how the Blackhawks play. They're run and go, track meet hockey, down and back, 7-5-6-5-8-2-10-5 games. So you know that somebody's going to have to step up and help them score if the top two lines aren't working. So that's what I really do think that it's either Henrik Borgstrom or Lucas Reichel, if either of them make the team mm-hmm. or the, you know, surprise breakout stars you don't expect to help the Blackhawks this season. I think you mentioned something really interesting there, which is like the second chances for different players and different teams. And um, it reminds me of someone else getting a second chance to write an article. Um, Patrick McGann, your, your second article on Blackhawk Cup came out <laughs> on Sunday. How'd you like yeah. that segue? Um, Pretty good segue. Uh I'm just ex- I'm super excited to talk about this because uh, Jim, we were talking about it. You know, we were just you know shooting the bull a couple of days ago, and we were just mm-hmm. like, wait, what the heck? Like, this makes too much sense to put an NHL team in Milwaukee, and uh, that's kind of what I wrote about. You know, it kind of ties into the Blackhawks in such a way because it. I mean, if you had an NHL team in Milwaukee, how would that not tie into the Blackhawks? Right. I mean, they're less than a hundred miles away, um, and yeah, like it. Pretty much just like why 
would you even have, I mean, not to come at the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, they're a friend of the pod, Holland hockey used to work well, for them. <laughs> well, but, let's, let's just go back to the beginning here. Let's go back to the beginning. So we're talking a couple of days ago about, you know, the Arizona Coyotes because um, we're just kind of, we're two diehard NHL fans that also just really loves the Arizona Coyotes. Love always them. have always will. Yes. Um, I can go and, put my head on right now. <laughs> and one thing that is interesting about that team is like, everyone just immediately goes to, Oh, you know, where it would be a great landing spot for the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Houston, Houston, Texas. So that would be a great place to put an NHL team. And, you know, maybe if you're just kind of glancing and the NHL is just going to do something really quick and easy, if it doesn't work out in Arizona, Houston might make sense. It's a big, big city. Um, and I guess, yeah, fine. You could put a hockey team there, but more so than that, I, we started talking about different like perspective cities and what you would want in it. And pretty soon right away, you instantly said Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's always a place, you know, we'd always play around with on uh, EA Sports NHL video games and, like, add an expansion team there, relocate, like, a team there and make a cool name for them and, you know, house them in Milwaukee. But, it, yeah, mm-hmm. if you think about it, like, realistically, like, the markets that the NHL could expand or have Arizona relocate to, realistically, would be Houston – I think Quebec would enter the conversation Yes, uh, because the, those Canadian markets deserve hockey and Quebec would do fantastic with the team. I will say that, For but sure. I also think you could add Milwaukee into that mix because re, uh, so like it would, it makes perfect sense to move a team to Milwaukee because right now the Arizona Coyotes are playing out of the central division with the addition of the Seattle Kraken. Why are they playing in the central? I mean, like I get it. Right. You have to make the divisions even, but why are teams from, Nashville. Why is why why is the Blackhawks? Why is the, the Minnesota Wild? Why are these teams traveling across the country for an in division game that's yeah. going to start at nine thirty p.m. local time at at latest when they can literally hop on a plane and be there in thirty five minutes to Milwaukee if you're Chicago or if you're Minnesota it's it's just about the same like it like they actually would have a central division location that's like where it makes, per- I mean, we'll get into the details in a second, but like, does it, does that not make sense at all or what? That Jeremiah, I'm going to let you take this. Does that it make sense? perfect sense? Honestly. I mean, I know what you mean with Milwaukee and how, I mean, that'd be like a St. Louis blues type of rivalry because they're so close to each other. The trip is really short. Both fans can make it to the other game and they could be like half and half of the crowd. And it's going to be like an insane atmosphere. Like it usually is with the blues, Blackhawks kind of games at the same time, you kind of, kind of wonder how a franchise or well, the Phoenix Coyotes are essentially going to be moving soon because I correct me if I'm wrong, but I read something that they're getting kicked out of their arena. Is that true? They are, but I think yes. they're, they've been on a couple different places. So, it, it, you know, yeah. that's, they can find a home in Arizona, but it's a matter of like, it, it's not working out. It's obviously yeah. not working out if you're right. trying to find a new home every, you know, they've, they've been around for what, like 25, 30 years. It's like, right. You can move them now or you can out. move them later. So right. So right. essentially like, it's a tentative home for them. They don't really have like a permanent state, like a permanent home to play their home games. So they're going to be moving anyway. And if they're going to be in the central division, just move to where all the central division teams are. Right. Like, probably not Houston because they already had the Dallas Stars. And I don't think Texas really needs two teams. But if right. you move them to Milwaukee, that's no team is in Wisconsin. You can you can have a full like tri like tri-state rivalry there. Right. So it's like and, 
so short of travel too. So it could be like the triangle of rivalries of the Blackhawks against the Blues and Coyotes, the Coyotes against the Blackhawks, Blues, and so on. I just think it'd be really, it would be a much more marketable situation for the league and for all three teams involved, but that's just my own two cents. Right. And like you talk about like Houston and Texas, like not necessarily needing another hockey team. The NHL is very hell bent on preserving hockey or even growing hockey in the Sun Belt. And it's, it's working out in Tampa Bay. It's working out in Carolina. It's working out in Los Angeles. It definitely did when they were on their cup runs. Um, but, but like Arizona, there just has not been sustained success down there. And why would you relocate to another Sun Belt area when you can go to Wisconsin, which is an area that is a hockey hotbed for the NHL? I mean, the stats that I pulled out of this article, I mean, like 47% of U.S. born NHL players that are playing in the league currently are from Wisconsin. Or excuse me, 47 for the Midwest. Yeah, my bad. And then. 4.8 of those players are from Wisconsin. So, but, but let's mention a couple of names here. You have Joe Pavelski, right? Um, Phil Kessel, Nick Schmoltz, Ryan Suter, Alex Kalchenyuk, Jake McCabe, Jake McCabe, Blackhawk, right? right. Um, that's that's awesome Jack too. Skilly, Adam Birch, yeah. great. Adam Cole, Caulfield, Cole Caulfield too. Yep. So, and, and some of these players played for the the U of W. Was, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that too. I mean, Wisconsin is. Essentially, it is a hockey state, especially with the Wisconsin Badgers. If you get an, an NHL franchise, they don't need to compete with the Dallas Stars, who are obviously more competitive than the Coyotes. You can't get any of the market there when you have another team that's close by and it's being much better than you. So it could be like Seattle, where their season tickets got sold out because that, that entire like that entire area is like we want to watch hockey, right? And then if you move the Coyotes to Wisconsin, there's no other team to watch. If you want to watch NHL hockey, you got to watch them. Right. So that's and like a really remarkable move for both it, sides. Yes. And like speaking of the market as well, like you, it, it, Milwaukee is a sports city and Wisconsin is a hockey state. Like I would argue that you'd say that the, the top three hockey states in the United States, I would say Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, you can argue that. And you can put a team in Milwaukee and it works out because the Pfizer forum that is the home of the Milwaukee Bucks has a built-in NHL size ice sheet in, in their facility already. 17,341 seats. Um, and like, let's, let's just take a look at how the other Milwaukee sports teams are doing the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA and the Milwaukee Brewers in major league baseball, Milwaukee Bucks. They literally just won the NBA championship. If any viewers were watching that, they saw that the deer district outside of that stadium was rocking like the entire length of the playoffs I mean, filled to the brim with people just partying and cheering that team on kind of like in Tampa Bay, how they have that outside viewing area. And then the Milwaukee Brewers, I, I was just at a game a couple of months ago. Like they regularly average over 35,000 fans a game in a 40,000 seat facility. Like they, they almost sell out all of their games. They're very competitive, a good baseball team. Like their fans show up. And in the University of Wisconsin-Madison, you can even argue this, their hockey team, the men's hockey team at the University of Wisconsin-Madison has the second highest attendance in all of the NCAA. The Cole Center, I think it's maybe a 15,000 um, fan uh, seat facility, averages just under 11,000 fans a game. So there, there is interest in the game of hockey in the state of Wisconsin. And not only that, Milwaukee fans will show up. They will show up for their teams. And especially, I think, if it's hockey, because this is a sport that 
is near and dear to a lot of uh, Scotty's hearts up there in Wisconsin. And I think that adding a team there would, would really um, be good for the NHL. Cause then like, I, I also go into detail, like you, you'd be tapping into the Chicago market. Like Jeremiah, you mentioned this, like Hawks fans would be going up there. Milwaukee fans would be coming down here. It, it they would be kind of, I don't know, building off of that or feeding off of that energy and that, that, that market and that, that money. And, and people say, Oh, it doesn't work because there's a, there's a big market nearby and like the Blackhawks. And it's like, well, let's, let's look at the major league baseball. Let's look at MLB here, the Cubs and the Brewers, they're in the same division and it works out perfectly. Cub fans go up there, Brewer fans come down here and none of them are interfering with the fan pool or market or whatever, like whatever, like that, like, they are and able Packers to Bears, survive. That. What did you say? Don't forget about Packers Bears too. Oh yeah, exactly. Wisconsin Packers and Bears Illinois too. will have three sports, major sports, and a gigantic rivalry with each other. Well, right. The Coyotes and Hawks probably need to build up to it, but like you said, like the Milwaukee group, uh, or like the teams in every, like in every major league, well, other than basketball, I want the Bucks and the Bulls really have a rivalry there. But if you add another sport to the Wisconsin Illinois rivalry, that's going to be amazing for both franchises. And also, if I think the Coyotes, what they need to do is that they need to get a new ownership group because their current ownership is doing horrendously. If you sell it to like a businessman who really loves hockey in Wisconsin, stationed in Wisconsin, like that guy's going to go all in, like full Absolutely. out. Absolutely, he's going to bring a ton of like revenue and a lot of like people back to the team. He's going to re- probably rebuild the right way, not just try to make money, but rebuild the right way. So. It could be a perfect storm for the Coyotes, but it's just really depends so. on that the ownership really wants to sell them. I'm pretty sure they will, but that's like another. I think the, the way. The biggest issue, obviously, is the only way you're ever getting a team in Milwaukee is through um, a team moving. It, right. It's it's right. going to be a relocation. the The idea of maybe expanding past 32 teams, which is what we're at, probably is never going to happen. Um, not for, if it does, it's not going to be for a long time. Like they, they oh, yeah. the NHL, like the NHL. Well, board of thirty-two directors. teams is such. It's it's a good number to sit at for a league. Thirty, yeah, and, thirty-two, and, and and they right. like they like I think just recently within the last couple of weeks, the NHL like that the the board has made it very clear that they're not interested in expansion like in the right. extended future. They're they're done for now. Yeah. So I mean, you just added two teams in three years. Right. Yeah. Done. I mean, you can't add another team for like three no. and four or anything. That's just too you, much for the league. You, 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 you'll never. I don't think we ever will get another expansion draft. I, and I know never say never, but it's yeah. just yeah, like the the health of the league would just like deteriorate not the actual player health, but just like yeah, exp- two expansion drafts in the span of like what five years. That like that does that sh- like, that shakes up the league a little bit, and it, you can't it, you can't continue. It shakes it up dramatically. I mean, yeah, the exactly. all of a sudden you're you've lost now two players on your roster, and I don't care. if your Blackhawks, who the team doesn't really end up taking any of your guys, but you're still losing two players. And that's a whole other franchise that is now going to pull players every year. And it, it does drastically kind of change the league setup. And now instead of it just being, you know, um, 16 out of 30 teams making the playoffs, it's 16 out of 32. So that's a whole two right. other teams that are on the outside looking right. in every year. And I was going to say, too, like, how are you going to do the playoffs then if you add another team? Yeah. So because then it's like it's completely outnumbered. You're like half of us are getting in, more than half of us are not getting in. When it used to be like 14 other teams wait in the lottery for the playoffs to finish or something like that. So are you supposed to add another two teams for like a play in for the first against the first two seeds or something? Who knows? But I, I really, I, 
I'm a fan of a I'm a fan of them doing a wild card in the future. And we could talk really about this later on. I want the one eight back. I really want that back. We can talk the, about this later on, but um Yeah, like at the end of the day, I, I would I would also, yeah, argue that I would actually not want the NHL to expand in Milwaukee. I would want it through Arizona going there. I don't think yeah. there's any other team that really has that much of a possibility of moving. I know the Hurricanes, before they got good, had some hiccups right before they got good, but then they they fixed it and they're good now. But the Coyotes, I think, are the only team that you can really see moving. And honestly, like they're the only team that it really, truly makes sense to move to Milwaukee because they're in the Central Division. Why yeah. are Central Division – like you're, some of the Central Division contests, Nashville still – remember, Nashville is still in the Eastern time zone. So their games, there is a possibility that some of their games – this season, they're division games. These games that should be played quick and easy because you're in the division. They should be a short trip. We'll be starting at 10 p.m. I forgot about that. It, it's it's ridiculous. You, you have that teams in Arizona and, and and Arizona. Arizona's amount of time. Too. Yeah. Well, no, and they don't Ari- do. Well, they don't no, do daylight it, savings. Yeah. So they're half the year they're in Mountain, half the year they're in Pacific. So it can even start as late as like later than 10:30. Imagine yeah. seeing up and it's watching like, a game for a division until like midnight. When you have it, work it, it, exactly, it's, it's one thing if it's a road trip, but it's it's a divisional opponent. This should it, you shouldn't be going to Phoenix, Arizona, to be playing a divisional contest. That's ridiculous, especially when you're Nashville. Oh my goodness! Exactly you when you're Nashville, that? it's yeah. I I feel bad for their fans right now. I mean, Hawks fans know how bad it is. Like you know, staying up when their team's out playing in San Jose or Vancouver. It, it's yeah, it's tough staying up and watching those games. It's hard to stay hey. up. Last year was wow. The Blackhawks didn't make the playoffs. That was one of the best times to watch Blackhawks hockey because honestly, half, right. half their games were out out east. So or the majority of them were. So the games were starting at like four, five, six p.m. Right. I, I did yeah. not hate last year. I thought game starting times is not like the NHL always is going to start their games at at night. They really hardly ever trying to tap into those like noon starts on right. the weekends. They they do it sometimes, but rarely. So you need to, I think it does not make sense to have that central division team in a Pacific slash mountain time zone. If at the end of the day, you have teams that are also in an Eastern time zone in that division. Right. It's, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous that like, okay, the Hawks is one thing, but the Nashville progress, like they're yeah. going across the country for, and what they, how many times do you play your divisional opponents? It's a year. Is it six? I think it's six. So it's, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but you play. I think you might play each team in your division. Yeah, like right around six times, like three on the road, three at home, or a little bit under that. It's mm-hmm. like it's almost like you like you almost have to incorporate going to play Arizona as a divisional game into a West Coast road trip because that's how far away they are, and it's not easy to fly between Chicago and Arizona, Chicago or, um, Arizona and. Nashville, like these are teams that are having to travel across the country and that obviously travel prices go up. Um, and like Milwaukee, it's just like, yeah, the Hawks can be there in less than an hour. And yeah, obviously as Blackhawks fans, we'd be very much intrigued with Milwaukee because it, it changes things, you know, all of a right. sudden, um, a it's four times money- guys. Pardon? It's four times, four times. Four, I thought so. So Nashville would play each Nashville and uh, Arizona play each other four times this year. Okay, yeah. so two, two and two. Okay, but so even so, like, because then you also get to the point where that team in Arizona, when they are playing their Central Division opponents, those games are going to be kind of earlier for them. 
Yeah. You know, all of a sudden a, a start time of 7 p.m. here could be five or five or six there. You know what or I mean? Yeah, or even four sometimes, depending on the, the so, way, what time of year it is. So it's like it really it just doesn't make sense to to do that. And you can like, you know, you can I can bring up all these things saying, you know, Wisconsin is more homegrown players. Arizona's not a hockey market. Wisconsin is. And, you know, it, 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 but it's just easier too. like the Red Wings could even like be there in less than two hours, the blue jackets, you know, yeah. all these, these teams, like even you could go to Toronto and say that they're, that Toronto could be in Milwaukee much quicker than they could be in Arizona. And it, it also makes it easier when you're setting up a road trip for San Jose. Like, okay, I'm going to hit St. Paul. I'm going to hit Milwaukee. I'm going to hit Chicago. I'm going to hit St. Louis. And that's, that's our road trip right there. That's like a line, you know, you kind of like perfect line. And it literally, all yeah, it, 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 like it literally makes too much sense to relocate Arizona here. And the NHL is just going to keep saying, Oh, we can make it work in Arizona. We can make it work. Uh, Austin Matthews. And by the way, me and Jimmy found an interesting fact Yes, Austin Matthews did grow up in Arizona, but technically he is from California. So he was born in like, okay, quanthockey.com, great site. Um, that's where Pat got a lot of the stats for this article that he wrote. Yeah, very great website. Um, yeah. But we were cool. really confused because we, we were like, okay, how many players are actually from Arizona? Um, and then we found out that the site was actually giving you like where they were born. Um, and so that's why Austin Matthews' name didn't pop up. And we were both like, wait, what? Yeah, right. Um, but I really like to like I I like the way you put it with the the Cubs and the Brewers rivalry. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like a lot of people think that a reason why like a Milwaukee team wouldn't work is because well, Chicago's just going to overpower them. Like market wise, no one's going to want to watch this new team because a lot of people in Milwaukee are Blackhawks fans, right? Or they're um, Wild fans, or they're just they just pick a team on a different area because the Wild might right. not be fun to watch. So. I feel like if you put a team there, that that market and that fan base, they're they're loyal people. I feel if you put right. a team in Milwaukee, those fans will get behind that team. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think so. And it just like Wisconsin is a hockey crazed state. It 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 really is. Like I would argue, it's more than Illinois. It's like hockey there. I think is like the, like maybe right. you can make a case for football being bigger, but like other than that, it's hockey. It's like hockey is the thing up there. Like University of Wisconsin Madison, always a, a good hockey school. Always got the Cole Center rocking. Like it, it's like it, it makes a lot of sense. And obviously, like in the grand in the grand like scheme of things, like yes, Milwaukee compared to Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Dallas, like Houston, Houston, Seattle. Um, even Arizona, like it is, it's a city of about it within the Milwaukee city limits proper. It's about, I think right around 600,000 people. So like it is a traditionally small market, but I think it's a small market in the case of like a, a Winnipeg where like their fans are, as soon right. as one of the Jets were back, they were immediately, they filled that. Uh, I think, is it the Bell Center? I'm not sure if that's what it is up there, the MTS place, but they, they filled that regardless. That stadium was rocking. It was filled, white out, you name it. Loudest stadium in the league. And I think something similar would happen in Milwaukee because of the, the hockey passion there and the culture that exists. You have a lot of great NHL players who are from there who, like Joe Pavelski goes back to the U of W every once in a while. 
And you but know, hey, I'll give you this one. I actually was at the Notre Dame Wisconsin game this past weekend at, uh, at Soldier Field, and you'll never guess who was on the field at one point representing the University of Wisconsin. They had like Joe. a little tribute to different players that played there. Joe Pavelski. No, Adam Burrish, Chicago guy. He was on the field. Oh, wow. Crowd. That's awesome. Oh. I wish I saw that. Yeah. They, they were going back yeah. and forth. It was it was a really well done game. Uh, hats off to the entire crew that did that because they had so many nice little like um, information things with like former players that played there. And then they would have them come out and like wave to the crowd. I cannot think off the top of my head any of the Notre Dame people that came. But Adam Burrish was there. It was cool to see him. They, they had a couple different yeah. groups of athletes, but yeah, yeah. I'm a, there's some people who were upset that college game day went to that game because like, oh, it belongs on a college campus. But that was that was a great setting. I think it was uh, really well done. Uh, obviously, we're kind of Chicago homers here, so we're going to say that. But still, I think it was really cool, really well done from what well, I saw. It, what I was really happy about, and now we're branching off into a little bit of Chicago sports um, folks at home. So sorry if this reference uh, kind of doesn't hit you. Jeremiah just muted his mic because he does not. He's like, what? But um, they the college game day, you could actually see a poster in the back that said Mount Carmel lost to St. Ignatius 27 to 0. <laughs> <laughs> so that um, two Chicago high schools football teams, uh, big yeah. upset over the weekend. So yeah. it was on college game day. So I'm re- I got to say it here. But yeah. Um, anyway, so now let's let's kind of dive over to the second topic of of the podcast, really. I think, I I think your article was really well done, Pat. I liked everything you had to say about it with um, how Milwaukee should have a team. And now, honestly, all we have left to do is brainstorm, brainstorm team names. And get a really rich ownership group out of the state of Wisconsin to bring a team there. But other than that, we're set. And we just yeah, have to get- they got to be patient, though. That ownership has to be patient because this team is not going to be a competitor overnight. It can take like five, six years at least. Right. But so, was, was Winnipeg a co- contender like right off the bat? No. It took them some right. time to. Yeah, yeah. So, I like they need to they need to be able to wait because I think the Golden Knights gave, gave uh, other franchises like this false sense of confidence, like, oh, an expansion team can make it to the Stanley Cup final in the first year. This is great. But right. it's like, they need to be patient. And the ownership also has to be patient. They can't just rush anything. Right. And just one last thing I want to say about it before we transition is like, I think that taking, because obviously, if you relocate the Coyotes to Milwaukee, it's the same exact team, except in, a, except in a different place. I think that being in Milwaukee would be setting up that franchise for success with fans with people being interested, with there being pressure from the fans because it's a hockey expectant market. I think that the Coyotes would see success in Milwaukee after a long time. Well, I'd also take it one step further, and I'd say in their first season there, if that ever did happen, they would be – there's some small factors that I think would make them a better team that following season than they are right now. Right. One, your fan base, that first season is electric. I feel like that they would want to play well for them. For sure. And the other big factor that I think matters for that team as well is that travel you referenced before. You know, when they're in Arizona, every trip's a plane. Every trip's a couple-hour plane ride because there aren't many teams right. located that close to them. But if you put that team in Milwaukee, all of a sudden, that same way you said Minnesota would have a great time on those trips and Chicago would have a great tra- time on those trips, all of a sudden for that Milwaukee team, now all of a sudden you're in the mi- pretty much the middle of the map and you're playing – teams that like your, your, your travel time is not going to be as bad either. And that might, it's not going to make a big factor. They're not going to obviously make the playoffs off of that alone, but I, 
in the long run that will make them a better yeah. team. I mean, less travel is helpful for players. Players don't like to travel. It's very, I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but and the the general trend right. is like, yeah, traveling stinks. It, long plane rides aren't fun. So making shorter travel, I think, is something that all NHL players can get on board with and organizations as well. Anyway, to segue over to the other big article we had, Jeremiah, your article came out on Sunday. Blackhawks still trying to make sense of the retail, uh, retool, rebuild, reload. Do you want to give us a little synopsis about that for all the listeners? Yeah, uh, honestly, I kind of feel like that article was a bit of beating a dead horse because I think we all know this by now. But I still found it to be interesting on how it can still work out because usually a rebuild it should take a process, right? Like, Nick Saban of Alabama football said when he was hired, you got to trust the process and you got to trust what brings you to become successful and then use that success, understand how you got there and make changes to maintain that success. I feel like the Blackhawks kind of had a plan on how to finally reach success again, but then they took a gigantic step forward from saying we're retooling to we're now rebuilding, step back from their process, hang on. We're, re, we're reloading now. We're going for it again. And you go, okay, that's like two steps forward from what you're supposed to do. Personally, I still feel like it will still work out for them because they do have those young guys who showed last season they can play in the NHL and make a difference for the team. But at the same time, I do kind of wish that they just followed through with the rebuild. But uh, that's just beating a dead horse. I'm still kind of trying to make sense of it because it can go either way based on your opinion. So I thought I would write an article on that because it could be, you know, different for each person, how they view it. And what? some guy just I, randomly said fire Bowman. So that's a, that's a constant comment. I feel like, articles. I feel like overall the one, the one judgment of how this will determine is it's not really anyone's opinion. It's about how they played the season, whether or not this sure. was a good move. Um, Pet, while the season hasn't played yet, what do you think? Do you think, Obviously, it's easier. Hindsight is always going to make things easier. So we'll have a better idea soon whether or not this was a good move for the Blackhawks to kind of like tear it down and then build it up really quickly and then just try and keep going. Do you think the Blackhawks are in a good direction? Do you think you like where they're at or what do you think? Um, again, like I think I've mentioned this before on some of our shows. I think that um, this was a little bit more than Stan Bowman putting a Band-Aid on things. I think he kind of just like gauzed it up in a way. Yeah. Um, I think that I would not be surprised if this team does not live up to the hype. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just trying to say like he, again, we've talked about rebuilds and how like you can do them different ways. And this was kind of like a, they were, the Blackhawks were in a, were kind of starting to go to a rebuilding phase. And then all of a sudden they signed like a couple big names and, and then it's like, well, we're done rebuilding now. And like the, it went very quickly. Um, and, you know, I think that this team is still going to struggle with some of the things they struggled with last year. Um, because again, things don't change overnight that we, I mean, of course we have new players and a lot more skill in other places, but I do think that the way this rebuild was done, it wasn't as an engineer would say structurally sound. I think, um, the foundation that it was built on isn't very, very solid. I think it's a little bit, you know, muddy. Um, and I, I can see, you know, the house eventually sinking and, and falling because, you know, again, like it kind of reminds me of when the Blackhawks kind of brought in Cam Ward and everything like, Oh, like veteran goaltender or whatever it is. 
it's just like, yeah, you brought in some veterans and then you brought in a, like a franchise player in Seth Jones. Great. But you didn't really build a new foundation. You kind of still, you're still, your foundation is still what it was before those players came. I hate to That's just it. my personal opinion, but I, I, I agree with you too. But I also, I, I wrote another article. I remember saying, how good can this team realistically be if all goes well for this team? And I really do believe that if all does go well for the scene, which means Case comes back and gives you the 60 points per year that he that he does usually, Kirby Doc breaks out and becomes like that 55, 60 point player that you that they need right now. Um, Marc Andre Fleury maintains his best in the form. Seth Jones becomes an elite defenseman all over again, and then Jeremy Colleton improves over the season and actually makes the strategies you need and adjustments that you need to win games and actually win in the playoffs when it matters. So I do agree with you to where this can honestly all go really bad because we all know that Seth Jones is signed for eight years, $9.5 million. Like that's, that's 1 million less than Patrick Kane. So you really got to like, everybody needs to understand this where this is really dangerous for this team coming into this season, because if Seth Jones sucks, we're stuck with him for eight years. Right. And it can all go Horribly wrong. Kirby Doc will be 28 by the time the, the Blackhawks naturally become successful again. Alex DeBrincat will be like 31 or something by the time they can be successful again once Jones's contract is up, which you know, I, I'm just saying pessimistically, I'm hoping he become he's that elite defenseman that they need for that like that franchise cornerstone on, on the on the back end. But like you said, this can all go really bad really fast. So it's just a perfect storm for success or a horrendous storm towards failure. It's one of the two. You can't have in between this year. So that's pretty scary. I, I don't know what happened. I let you guys talk for three or four minutes, and then all of a sudden the team is just just in the whirlwind of horribleness right now. But No, no. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a different angle on it. Because when we – early on during this rebuild, retool, different thing, era, whatever you want to call it, I think, Pat, I think I talked to you about this a little bit. I said the only way the Blackhawks are going to fix this and turn this around is it's going to take some crafty moves. It is. And it's going to take a little bit of some gambling to get there. And I feel like, yes, yes, you gave up a lot to get Seth Jones. But at the same time, guys, I know everyone doesn't like Seth Jones. Um numbers that they don't they don't think he's good like his analytics aren't good but if you watch Seth Jones play like I always go back to the memory I have of him playing is when the Columbus Blue Jackets swept the Tampa Bay Lightning and he was just amazing during that series right like that's what I mean if Seth Jones returns to form like he did in uh in 2019 this team will actually be pretty good but like my point is like if the if he doesn't reach that point again, he can. I'm just saying he can. But like his analytics were not good last year. But that's like his, a different his, story. His numbers last year were on the Columbus Blue Jackets. I know where the team like, had no one. I mean, now he's know, on. A, it's still like, he's on a Blackhawks team. He's on a Blackhawks team that is kind of better off. Pet, you're making a face at me right now. I don't know what this is. Uh, I I mean like we can compare how I mean how the Blue Jackets and the Hawks both were. Teams that didn't make yeah. the playoffs last year. No, but I'm I'm just too. saying, I'm just saying, the Blackhawks 
I don't think there should be much of an argument here. The Blackhawks are a better team than the Blue Jackets. I, but I wouldn't say by much. Like, well, okay, before the moves that were made, before yeah. the Blackhawks no, were made. After you say all the moves they made this offseason, not including Seth Jones, the team is a better team than the Columbus Blue Jackets. Add Seth they Jones, and, and Seth Jones is playing on a pretty good defensive team with guys like Jake McCabe, Calvin DeHaan, Connor Murphy, and all those other young guys who I'm, I didn't like Riley Stillman, Y. Kalinuk. Someone has to be on this roster, and his brother's here as well. There's a ton of different factors that I think, yes, it's a long contract, and yes, it's a lot of money, and yes, there's a chance that he's as bad as he was last year on a rebuilding Columbus team. But when you talk, like when you hear other people talk about Seth Jones, like the coaches he had, like um, John Tortorella, he said throughout that entire long season, he never stopped playing. That guy never gave up, and he was always giving his, he was always the best player on the ice for that team. You're adding a big, like top pairing defenseman, ideally, to your lineup that those guys don't come around that often in the draft. And if they do, after you draft that guy, it's going to take him another couple of years before he's actually that guy. So that's a, I, I feel like they made the right move at the right time to get him. It took a lot, and I know that, but I still think it's good. I agree with you. I remember the conversation we did have about like what it's going to take to bring the Blackhawks back. Um, and like, yeah, they were, they were missing some role players there and some experience here and whatever. But it's just like it, the problems that we saw last year don't just magically go away. Right. It, it's going to take time for that. It's, it's going to, and maybe it happens with this group of guys, but I don't think it's going to be this year. I don't think, I think it might take a little bit longer. I think you might maybe see a year this year where the, the Blackhawks are going to be competitive, but by no means, like, I, I, again. Well, yeah, no, all we're talking about is them being competitive. And a lot of things here is, Seth They're Jones like is contenders for sure. No, but Seth Jones has signed for a long time. Jake right. McCabe, um, Connor Murphy, the, all those three, of the, all, the, all those guys are signed for a long time. They have four a, years. Yeah, they have a good like core back there with right yeah, Riley Stillman. And oh yeah, I think I yeah, and we've I think we've talked about this before. I think the Blackhawks defense is set up for tremendous success when that for starts sure. to that. I mean, those four guys alone when that starts to develop. That I mean, we're going to see debatably maybe one of the best blue lines in the Central Division, and you can even argue that the Western Conference, maybe even Stand, the league. Itself. Yeah, and they're standing in front of potentially one of the best goaltending duos in the league as well. Yeah, so absolutely. that's also something you, you can look at in a positive sense. I guess. When you talk about like, was this rebuild? Was this the right time? Or was these the moves he made this offseason the right moves? I think it's hard to argue against some of those moves because. Yes, they gave up a lot to get Seth Jones, but they signed Jake McCabe. They got Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing. Tyler Johnson was free. He just cost a lot of money. But they weren't in a salary cap hell beforehand, and they still really aren't. The players they have aren't going to ask for a lot. I think it was a a little bit rushed in the sense where Stan Bowman's like, okay, I have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and they – Patrick Kane, you can maybe not Jonathan Taves because because of, you know, what was going on with him. But it's like these guys – are still playing at a pretty competitive level and they yeah. still add tremendous value to this organization to this team. I want to rebuild, I say that in quotes, this team as quick as possible so that we can still utilize Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and use their veteran leadership and use their skill that they still have 
and bring in guys that can make this team competitive and see what happens. Because I think that when you look at it that way, I think that's kind of what Stan had in mind in a, in a sense, just saying like, Hey, this is kind of what I want to do. I want to make like, I don't want to waste Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tase's time here while they still have it. You want to make, you want to make sure they're playing on competitive teams. Right. And And, not only do they set that up, they set that up very, they have a very competitive team for this season. Not again, competitive being like playoffs. Developing though, but just developing developing and taking steps forward. Yeah, right. They're not. They're not a top team. I I see them as a team like Minnesota last year when they made the playoffs and then they went to seven games against Vegas. They had a pretty good run right there. And I I remember making a bold prediction saying the Hawks might even slide into that third spot in the Central Division. It could happen. I think if best case scenario, I honestly think that the Blackhawks can can do that. Might be a little bit silly to say that, but it's not silly to say that. The central division totally is wide open, and it, like I think they can slide into that spot. And now I'm like, I was kind of like, you might be like, well, you were just kind of trashing the Hawks. Like best case scenario, I think this thing to, things can work out for this team this year. But like J- Jimmy mentions, that defensive uh, core they have built up, that's just going to keep getting better and better with those players playing with each other over time. And the chemistry too. Once exactly. you get the hang of it, and lines too. He needs to keep the lines together. Jeremy Colleton has to keep his lines together. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. He especially last year was so frustrating. I'm sorry, the the lines last year were so frustrating because you're like, this line has chemistry. They can do something. Like the third line of what was it? Um, it was Carpenter, Camp, and Highmore. I remember. And Highmore was still on all the team. three. That was amazing. Like they shut down Connor McDavid, and he's like, oh, we're done with this line, and then we got a new line. We're like, what the heck? Like he needs to keep those guys together to establish a chemistry you actually need with each other. Because you can't expect well, Patrick Kane and Alex Gabrinka just have natural made chemistry. But you can't expect the other lines to make those crazy plays where you don't where they just know where everybody is. If you know where everybody is on the ice, you can make anything happen. But he just but they just don't seem to have that patience to lead those lines together. Well, I so think success seen, needs to be chemistry with them. We've seen Colleton coach in a different era this will be the first time his team really is competitive because the three guys you named right there, Carpenter, Kemp, and Highmore, none of them are on the team anymore. They traded Highmore to Vancouver. Oh, wait, Carpenter's on the fourth line projected. Oh, sorry. It's just... Yeah, yeah, Carpenter is on the team. But I'm just saying um, the, the Blackhawks are in an interesting position because they had last season they had so many young guys, they were just trying to try out and see who could fit where. And they just had players where they just wanted to – kind of like plug and chug, just plug them in and just keep going and see what happens for this game. And then we'll just readdress things next game. And they just wanted to have a lot of footage on the players and like, kind of like basically build up a rapport on what these guys can do. And are they going to work with this team for the future? Right. It was like a tryout kind of right. Like where they were, they were going to the playoffs. They would have got to the playoffs before they reached that slump. So like, we have a team who's competitive. So I, Mm -hmm. I see your point. It's like, they want to add those guys, other guys in who are experienced and, you know, really good at what they do so they can reach that hump, get over it and then become playoff and playoff team again. So I, I do agree. I do see your point and I do agree with it. So this year, I, I think I'm just creating that out there. The lineup, I think will be a little bit more concrete this year where you won't see as many lineup changes unless things are drastically not working for the team. This right. year, I think the goal needs to be like figuring out your lineup, top six and bottom six, because there are a lot of question marks. The centers that this team has, any one of them, I see like that could maybe be your top six center, but because of the uncertainty around guys, 
we won't know how that really works until opening night. So you just kind of have to wait and see. Right. And what, what do you guys think about like, like you got like Colleton's role in this, like he, like Jimmy said, this is a new era. He's been given a competitive team. What if, what if he, he flops this, like, is he in the hot seat? He's for sure in the hot seat because if you, there was an article where it said that Jeremy Colleton, I think I said this last time I was on, but Jeremy Colleton gave Stan Bowman like a to-do list of like what he saw over the season and what they need. One of it was a re- was a renovated blue line. Another one of it was a second reliable goaltender. And the third one that I remember was size and grit. And Stan Bowman went out and got like all of that. This yeah, did, huh? So if Jeremy Colleton gives this list to Stan Bowman saying, this is what I need to be good. Stan Bowman says, okay, he doesn't, he goes on and does it. And he's like, I did my part of the bargain. Now it's your turn. So he's really on the hot seat because Bowen really did this time all he could to help to satisfy Jeremy Colleton's requests for what Jeremy Colleton believes is a contender. So he's in the I, hot seat for sure. I do think Colleton's in the hot seat. I mean, every coach in the NHL is in the hot seat. Oh yeah. At, at any time they're, unless they, their team always is winning, there's a chance they get fired if their team's losing. But I will say this about Colleton and the Blackhawks. I don't think Bowman can – I don't think he gets fired unless at the end of the year they, they didn't have success. I don't see them, like, firing him after a four- or five-game slump. Obviously, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I just feel like the Blackhawks right now are in such a weird position where if you oh. change the coach during the season – that's not going to help things. It's no, not. no. That's, I mean, I mean, I this mean, isn't the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I, I mean, like, I, do you think, I think the Blackhawks will roll with Colleton, good or bad, the entire season. I think his, his eventual termination or being kept on would be capping after the season right. is over. So you're, yes. you're basically Maybe. saying, like, th- there's an expectation for him. And if they don't reach it, he's done type of thing. After the, after the, yes. Yeah. If he doesn't, if he doesn't hit that expectation, Jeremiah brought up, like, literally, a perfect point by saying Sam Bowman did his job. It's now time for Jeremy to do his. Yeah. And if he doesn't do it to the standard that Stan Bowman wants it at the end of this year, is he gone? And you guys all agree that he like, yes, he it's like, it's, he's on the hot seat. He could be gone. I, I, I fully hundred percent agree. I think there's, there's definitely a lot of things that he's going to have to figure out this season. This will be the first time that he's coaching a Blackhawks team or a team in the NHL in general that is going into the season favor, expected to do something and not just kind of stick. Cause his first year, you know, he came in during the middle of the year after the firing of the Bowman and excuse me, of uh, coach Quinville. And yeah, they, they sucked. They weren't very good that following year. They sucked again. They sucked. And then that was the play in year though. So, yeah. um, so they, they didn't got, really suck. They, they, just they, got, they got lucky. Season. Well, yeah. they were just average. He's he's had average teams, I guess. But yeah. I, oh I yeah, think Quinville could have had that. Quinville could have had that team, but it'd be average too. But they wanted to make a move. And the one thing, a lot of the times when teams do quote unquote rebuild, you have a coach that's your rebuild coach, and then once your team's competitive, you fire that rebuild coach and you bring in like that. You bring in that Joel Quinville that's going to take take the team to the next level. So it's yeah. interesting because the Blackhawks didn't really rebuild in the traditional sense. So do they do they try and run with Carlton and he's going to be the guy, or are they are they planning on maybe moving on at the end of the season and moving on to someone else? I did also I read another article where they said that 
Jeremy Colleton is aiming for a fast-paced down-and-back track meet team that is also very physical and is not afraid to drop the gloves. Essentially, what he's trying to do is make the team almost completely opposite what they were last year in the physical sense, while maintaining the offensive production and capabilities and adding defensive um, awareness for the franchise, for for his roster. So I do think that he does have a good vision for his team. It's like, it's like you guys said, it's like, can he execute with this team? That's the main question. And if he does, I'll, I will shut up about my criticism of Colton. But if he doesn't, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to not be very excited about the season. Call me crazy, but Jimmy's point that he just made, say, yeah, okay, we're rebuilding. We, you know, maybe after this season or next season, if this guy I'm about to say is still available, Jimmy knows exactly where I'm going with this. Get rid of your rebuild coach and Jeremy Colleton and hire John Tortorella. I love John Tortorella. I, oh I would love it. Oh my gosh. Love it. Bring I, him on. I, I gotta say this. Um, I and you do have the connection. John Tortorella and Seth Jones have a history together because he was with Columbus for a long time. I I love defensive teams. Like the New York Islanders, everyone always does not like the way they play, but Barry Trotz is a great coach. The system He's he uses. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. He's Defensive teams are always, in my opinion, you can do more with, like, a less player sometimes there because everyone's just playing a style of play that can be annoying to other, to other teams and often kind of create some havoc there. You know, Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup, and then he went to New York, and he made them pretty good as well. Right. And now Washington hasn't really been as competitive since then. Right. So. I definitely think if you do add the right coach to the Blackhawks, that team is on another level. And yeah, if Barry Trotz is available, I I would like to see him in Chicago. I'm going to have to definitely read up on um, you mean, Jones you mean John, and Trotz. John, oh, Tortorella? Yeah, John Tortorella. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to read up on Tortorella and um, Jones's history together, but I personally think that's a good move. I think it would I, be. I also awesome. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's all you. Oh, okay. Um, uh, my, 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 uh, my thing about Tortorella is that he is, ex- well, I mean, this is not a knock on him, but he's extremely passionate. Like that guy is not going to sugarcoat anything with you. And when you have a team that are still as young as the Blackhawks are, I really think that's the kind of coach that will help them reach the next step. Unless they have the, the right mental to deal with the, you know, constructive criticism that's coming their way. But I do saying- I do agree with you though, because sorry, I do agree with you because what Barry Trotz has done with his teams is that it's like a chess match, right? Where you you counter what your opponent does and then capitalize on the mistakes or the jumps that they try to do, and then you make your offense with that. As, like like uh as you watch the Islanders, you can see them, they're very defensively capable. But if the defense make or if the, the guy running the point makes the wrong pass. Those guys are often like a three-on-one, two-on-one. It's like a chess match. So I do agree with you that we're defensive teams. They do have – they can bring the most out of average average players. But at the same time, I don't really know if that's the team that – or that's a coach or style that will suit the Blackhawks with so many offensively-minded guys on their roster. Uh, I was just saying, like, you know, use some heads here when you're ready to go and if he's still available. Now, I – the way that the NHL coaching market is, it's very lucrative and he could, you know, he could very well be hired within the next year or so um, because he's John Tortorella. But I'm saying like, once you're done, 
rebuilding again in quotes um, or like, you know, you're, you're done developing that like defensive talent. You have some offensive talent that, that has been growing for a little bit. Like when you're ready to go for it again and you're ready to win a Stanley cup in Chicago again, do you go get him? I, if he's available, I mean, I would sure. love it. I love how passionate he is. I, I mean, some yeah. of the stuff is pretty funny, but I, I, I love it's it. Hilarious. I mean, that that's, it's, it's, you gotta have that passion sometimes. And he, like, I'm, I've, I could promise you he lights up his locker rooms and his teams aren't playing well, like in the playoffs or something like that. He's like, he, he screams and yells. He, he's very passionate. That, and that I, next it, era of Blackhawks hockey, I think he'd be grateful because while yes, they do have it. a lot of, they do have a lot of offensive players on their team. And um, sometimes maybe Tortorella wants everyone to kind of play a defensive style too. And like everything, you always have to like kind of fall back on the defense and do your part back there. Um, and that didn't work out for Patrick Laine. I feel like it would work out with everyone on the Blackhawks. You know, Alex Dabrinkit is a great offensive player, but on the same time, he also was one of like the team's best back checkers last year. All around, he was a great player. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, they're not getting any younger. And sometimes when you do kind of reach that older ages in the NHL, you kind of have to find out new ways to play. And for Kane, I doubt that's going to be, he's going to become like a great defensive player and um, <laughs> block shots or do anything like that. But I, I think he knows how to play smart, and I feel like that could work out too. Um, it, it is a really interesting idea you bring up, Pat, about how if, if a guy like that's available, I think you should go after him. But I feel like there's other guys out there that if they're available, yeah, why not? But we'll see how Carlson does. I just said John Torrell because he's just like, you know, he's kind of like an NHL, you know, right. you know not around the league people. You know, no, he's, he's just a name known around the league. He's kind of like a hothead a little bit, being very passionate, kind of a funny guy. And I think it would just be cool to have him play for our favorite team, right? I think it'd be cool to see him oh, yeah. come to Chicago and, you know, be, be in the city and work with the Blackhawks. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with his career next. I'm sure – I don't know if you both agree. I'm sure he'll get hired at someplace else within the next year or so. I'm pretty sure he will. And, yeah. And um, I think he's helping with ESPN this year. As a, oh, that'd be like, awesome. He, that'd be he's cool. like doing, he is. I, I'm almost positive they hired him to do uh, so, like the desk work or whatever you call it. Where awesome. Just the, so yeah, it's going to be hilarious. Sign me up. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm a <laughs> I'm a big fan of John Tortorella. I think he, he was awesome when he was up in Vancouver and then he went to New York and Columbus. And Tampa Bay. Yeah. Tampa Bay before that. He won a Stanley Cup there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is a he's Stanley a Cup coach. winner. He, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in that, like, a good coach can take an average team to, like, a really Another good level. or great yeah. team. So if you, there is a great coach available and the Blackhawks, they can't get to that stage with Jeremy Carlton. Yet, like you guys said, they, they really do need to make that, that next gamble move. So, I don't know, they're and, in a weird spot. They need they 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 just there. There's a lot that can be answered this season, but we'll probably come and, back to this next ne- uh, next year and probably say the same thing. And Jeremiah, you like bring up a good point. There was a one of the former Bears coaches. I forget what his name is, but I think he was quoted on it, it, uh, saying like, "Give me Mitch Trubisky, give me the Bears defense from like last year or the two years ago, and I'll take you to the playoffs every year." Like you can, a good coach can take you. Um, I mean, obviously, that, that could, that's a little bit of a controversial comment. I saw it somewhere that he said that. You know, was that it John of, Fox, I think, that said that? Maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know. If, I forget who it was. But he was just saying, like, like give me Mitch Trubisky, give me the Bears defense, I'll take you to the playoffs every year. It's like there are coaches that maybe that guy's, you know, inflating his ego a little bit. But either way, like, there are coaches that can turn teams that are average into 
good teams. Well, it's, it's, it's way easier to say something like that when you're not doing it. it oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're not doing um, it. With but like I, I study, well, I, like you guys know, I, well, maybe you guys know, but I try to study the strategy, strategic part of hockey and the game in general. And what I found was that like, even if the players do bad, like sometimes even if they score a goal from a mistake, the coach still gets upset. So it's all about your system and how your players can buy into that system and like believe in that, and believe in that style of play to find success. So coaches are kind of underrated in the NHL. But I do, but they're one of the key parts, if not the key part, that actually wins you a Stanley Cup because you need to get the guys involved in the process, involved in the style, buy into the, you know, the entire thing of the season to actually win. So, if, like, like I said before, if Jeremy Colleton can't do that kind of thing, then they do need to turn to a more experienced hand and who actually understands the game in North America other than Europe. Well, I got to say it. Um... It's, it's been a great episode. It's been a great hour talking with you all. And before we get going, I think there's one question on all the people at home in Chicago's mind right now. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys this question and you guys can, you know, you have like 30 seconds to respond on this. So deep dish pizza or thin crust? Pat? Oh, Jeremiah can go first. Uh, really? I pass it to Jimmy. Are you, oh, both, are you kidding man. me? You know what? I'll go. I'll go. Are you kidding? I'll go. Come on. Thin crust pizza. That is my answer. I love deep dish, and there are some great deep dish places, but the local thin crust pizza you find in the neighborhoods of Chicago. You want to name name your favorite? My favorite is Rose Angeles on the south side of Chicago. I live live by Rose Angeles, die by Rose Angeles, and I'm telling you right now, ever since moving to Salt Lake City, I realized just how good some of those local pizzerias are. I was so spoiled as a kid, and that's the thing I miss most about Chicago other than the sports culture. And Jeremiah? Well, honestly, I've been a I've been a suburb guy my entire life. So there I went to Chicago a couple of times and had a deep dish pizza there, and that was really good. But I don't really get good deep dish pizza where I like where I've been living for the past nine years. So I gotta go with thin crust because you can't really go wrong because they have it everywhere in where I where I live. And you can't go wrong with that because it's still pizza. I, I like Chicago's deep dish, but overall thin crust because you can't really go wrong with that. I guess I'm up next and I'll just change it. I'll, I will go deep dish. Um, I, oh. You can't go wrong with Rosangelo's pizza. I love Rosie's. You know, Jim likes himself some Lou's deep dish. I yes. do like Lou's deep dish. I like Giordano's deep dish. I also like Uno or Due's um, in downtown Chicago. There's a lot of good Chicago's deep dish. Chicago's just the best. You know what? This is This is kind of quite frankly, rude because I can't go get some of this pizza and Jimmy can walk outside of his house and go get it. So now I'm kind of why I brought it up. It's kind of why I brought it up today. I I want it right now. I want it right now and I can't get it. And I was quite frankly, very rude. And I, I actually had, I actually had Palermo's (laughs) last night. So that's kind of why I I started this conversation. Rub it right in. Oh my God. Ordered it when it picked up 20 minutes later. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for everyone at home, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode. So, yeah, we'll see you. Have a good one. Go Hawks. What he said. <laughs>